Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. And now sings my soul You never let me go and If you'd like to follow along out. with us today You can turn in your Bibles You can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 This week we are launching our long anticipated um, Or at least long talked about sermon series A new set of conversations that are, that are going to be all based out of the book of Philippians Now I need to tell you that doing these kinds of series are actually quite difficult um, because there's so much that you want to say. Paul's letters are so dense and, and you, move, you can move through it like verse by verse by verse and almost every verse could require a sermon, that, something that you could preach from. You could spend months and months, and maybe even a year in Philippians, but, but we're not going to do that. We're going to spend one month. But sometimes when you try to say too much, you end up saying nothing at all. So I'm going to do my best to simply say something and nothing, or and not nothing, by, by saying too much when it comes to the book of Philippians. And so today, I want to begin this time together looking at the book of Philippians by talking about heaven, by, by beginning with, with heaven and how we think about heaven and at least start out there and then move through, through our text today and see how this brings things into context. We all have an understanding or a concept of heaven. For believers, it's, it's a life spent with God, an eternity spent with God beyond this world. And for non-believers, should you subscribe to the idea of heaven, it's, it's like an all-you-can-eat donut shop for eternity or, or something like that. What, whatever your vision of the best possible way to spend your life. And what I want to talk about today is how do we live well here and now while also living with a hope of what's to come? Rather than just saying, well, I'm going to heaven when I die and, and that's the game. That's what this is. This life, this experience, what this is all about is just knowing that I'm getting there someday. And for many Christians, that's what this life has become. That's what this life here can become. Just about knowing where I'm going when I die. But that's not what Scripture calls us to do. That's not how it calls us to live. So how do we fully live here while keeping this hope of eternity alive in our hearts. How do we do this? Because scripture makes it clear that we don't live in a merely materialistic universe. That, that we are eternal beings who worship and live for an eternal being. So somehow this limited, finite, physical body and brain and heart and all of this, somehow it's also transcendent. Me and you as eternal beings somehow transcend these physical bodies. And, and this can create a paradox in our lives. How do we live well here when this isn't our ultimate home? 
How do we live well here without checking out while still living with the hope of what's to come? In Proverbs, it will tell us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And if our hope is only in something that's going to happen someday, how do we not allow for our life and time right now while we live here and now to not somehow suffer because all of our hope is found in someday, but, but not today. And as we look at this first chapter of Philippians, Paul is going to so clearly speak to this, living well, this, this hope of heaven, while at the same time living well here and now. So for the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote this book. This book that is a letter to a church in a city named Philippi, that's where the, we get the name Philippians from. A Philippian is somebody who lived in Philippi, like an Airdronian, which is weird, but that's what we're called when we live in Airdrie. And he, he writes this letter to a church while Paul finds himself in prison. And he's writing this letter to a church that he helped start, that he helped found. And the story of the founding of the church in Philippi is found in Acts chapter 16, if you wanted to read that. And actually, this letter is essentially a thank you note to the church in Philippi. He's saying thank you because they, the, the church in Philippi gave Paul a huge financial gift. And, and that's important because even though Paul's in prison, in, in the time of the Romans, prisoners weren't given three square meals a day in a warm bed. Prison, when we think of what jail is, it's not what jail was. If, if you were a prisoner, you still had to provide for yourself. You were essentially dependent on friends and family to exist. You weren't given anything to help you exist. You weren't given a room and a bed and, and food, even if the food is terrible. You weren't given that. You had to provide for yourself. And the, 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 the Philippian church gave Paul a huge gift so that he could survive in prison. So he's writing him a thank you note. He's writing him a note to say thank you. But with Paul being Paul, in this thank you note, suddenly there's lots of theology and Jesus and praising Jesus and the difference that Jesus makes in everything. All of that makes its way into this book, into this thank you note. And, and from prison, Paul faces what could be his death. The Romans were not exactly restrained in how they dealt with people who were seen as a social nuisance. They weren't restrained. They didn't have a good appeal system and a maximum sentences. And if you were annoying to the, to the Romans, you were probably going to die. And from this place of thankfulness for the gift, but also potentially living in the last days of his life, Paul has this moment of reflection where he's saying thanks to the church, but, but he's also confronted with this idea that you've helped me live longer but I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. He says, I don't know, guys. Part of me wants to go home. Part of me just wants to go home and be in the fullness of God, wants to be with Jesus. But, but another part of me knows that it's better for the people here that I stay here. And this is the tension that Paul finds himself living in. And so we're going to read from first, or Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, when it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now 
as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between these two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by, better by far, but yet it is necessary for me to remain in the body. Now, when Paul says, part of me wants to die here, this, this isn't a death wish. This isn't a man who's suicidal. And in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8, Paul is, is writing in a different place about the, this oncoming death that he can see. About his, he's writing about his potential execution. And he isn't excited. He isn't like, woohoo, time to die. I cannot wait for them to kill me. This is going to be the best day. In fact, he says that he's in despair about what is coming and, and that he's in pain about this possibility. But, but somehow we see that Paul has been working, as, as we see as Paul has been working and giving, as he says, laboring for others in God so much and for so long that Paul has come to this place where, where he feels as though he's ready to be with Jesus. Now, I, I want to divert for a moment, and, and then we'll bring this back around. I, I want to touch base back when we were talking about heaven, because this is where we're going to circle back to. But I want to talk about what we think about when we think about the concept of heaven for a moment. And, and for most people in our culture, when I say, I think about heaven, there, there is one kind of, of standard bit of iconography or one standard image that comes to mind. Pearly gates sitting on top of clouds. You know, the idea that you go up and you stand outside these gates and then there's someone, maybe Peter comes and you have to sort of pass a test or, or whatever, ask you some questions or they look up to see your, your, your record. Have you been good enough? And, and if you have, then Peter allows you in to heaven. Now I want you to do something for me. Remove all of those images from your head and thoughts when we talk about heaven. Because this is not at all, in any way, based on Scripture. This idea of going up to heaven and having to pass some kind of test, that's not the picture of heaven that we're given in Scripture. This is just, not, this is just something that we as people have made up. But this idea is so pervasive that it can be seen in, in so many people's ways of thinking. I, I found this quote from a man named Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg was a former mayor of New York City and, and seemingly for about 15 minutes was a potential candidate for the president of the United States in the upcoming election. And he said this about going to heaven. He said, I'm telling you this. If there is a God when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place. It's not even close. This is the mentality of be good enough. But of course, when, when we take this mentality of just be good enough and we juxtapose that with what the Bible says about what we've earned, where it says for the wages of sin, it's not heaven. For the wages of sin is death. Scripture tells us that none of us are good enough. It says there is no one righteous. No, not one. 
not to stand in the presence of God's purity and holiness and goodness and love. And while earning our way into, into heaven might not be as prevalent inside Christian culture, although it still can manifest itself in some ways, what can be just as problematic is when going to heaven becomes the reason why you have your faith or why we have our faith. That when I, when asked, why are you a Christian? And if our answer becomes, so I can get to heaven when I die, it becomes a problem. That's clearly not what Paul was about in this passage we just read from Philippians. His game is not to just do enough to get him in. To do enough so that he gets a mansion of gold bricks that he can lounge in. It's, it's not just to find Jesus so that he would be good, he would be safe, he would be okay when he dies. That, that he prayed his prayer and he's got his fire insurance and now he will just keep his head down and just try to not mess it all up. Because if you think the reward of the Christian life is merely heaven, we're entirely missing the point of this Christian life. If you think the reward of the Christian life is just getting into heaven, then you do not understand who Jesus is and what he is about. Because that's not what God saves for us, or saves us for, and it's not what God saved you for. God wants for us, for you to be transformed and to live in this partnership with Jesus. What that means is we're not just supposed to live for heaven, but that our lives here... And now, this life that we're in, these lives that we're living right now, they would be transformed. And we would live in this perfect mutuality with Jesus where what he cares about is what we care about. And where we see what he cares about, he takes on himself. But the consequence of thinking of, of the purpose or, or my reason for my faith is just that I'll go to heaven when I die is that we can fall into this place of thinking okay, I'm good. I've prayed the prayer. I've done my duty. Whatever happens in life, I have this in my back pocket, and I know that I'm good. And, and this is not the Christian life that's presented here. And it's not the life that Paul talks about in other verses. And secondly, the Bible doesn't talk about heaven as this end game, this end goal where we'll end up one day. It actually talks about heaven coming here on earth and redeeming all things and making all things new, and which we get to participate in with resurrected bodies and new life in God. But what does Paul say that the afterlife actually looks like here? What does he say that, that going to heaven is going to be like for him? He has a very specific image of what heaven looks like when he says, I didn't put the slide there, but trust me, if you go back and read what we just said, he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. To, to heaven, Paul doesn't say, I desire to go and live in the clouds with harps and golden streets. The image of heaven that Paul has is simply being fully in the presence of Jesus to be with the King, to be with the Lord, to be with his heavenly Father, to be with his God, to come into the fullness and the knowledge of God and his goodness. This is what Paul says heaven looks like. It, it's not a place in the clouds. It's not merely this reward to achieve. It's not a lifetime achievement award. It's this spiritual connection with God that exists when we enter into the fullness of God. Now, this is a really serious conversation 
because we have so many Christians who live with this idea that the purpose of life is simply to have eternal life in heaven. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and, and that's not what Paul shows us. He doesn't say, for me to live is heaven, to just get there. He says, for me to live is Christ to live like Christ, to live the life that Christ has called me to live. And the life that Christ has called for us to live is not a life that's just about waiting for heaven. It's, it's not just merely just saved by grace, but it's a life that's transformed by grace. Living a life that's been transformed by grace into the life that God desires in us and through us and with us. That being a Christian is more than just praying a prayer so that I can get into heaven when I die. But it's about a change that takes place in our lives here and now. But what if we were to live our lives with an understanding that our lives as Christians are not just about an eternity in heaven. That they are lives that are just as much about the here and now as they are about eternity. That our lives are to be lived where we are able to say, like Paul, you know, it may be better for me individually to go and be with Jesus in heaven. But it's better for the world that I am in it. For, for me to be here and continue to give everything I have to change the world that I'm in right now for Jesus. What would our lives look like? What would your world look like? Not just the big world, because we can, we can use that kind of language, but it trips us up because people will say, well, you can change the world, but it's really hard for me to believe that I can change the world. But I can change my world. So not just the big world, but your world, your circle, your place in the world. What would it look like if we really leaned into this idea that this is what our lives need to look like? If, if we lived in this place, if I could live in this place where I just poured my life out for my wife Yvonne, for my kids, for my family, for my friends, for my church, for my city. What does that even look like? So yes, we live with the hope of heaven that awaits us in Christ. But my goal for my life now is not just to make it to heaven someday, but my goal, as long as I have breath, is to live in the here and now fully participating in this partnership with God. That my life just doesn't become about what happens at the end of it, but it becomes about what is happening now. How is my now shaping the now around me? Jesus will talk about this, the importance of this in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus will go on to talk about these kind of themes in Matthew chapter 25 when some people will come to say, Lord, when did we know you? When did we do these things for you? And Jesus will say, well, whenever you fed the poor and took care of those who were in jail and helped the sick, whenever, whenever you did something to the least of these, that's when you did that. That's when you knew me. 
And many of the people will say to him, but, but God, look at all the amazing things we did in your name. We prophesied and we cast out demons. We, we did all of these incredible things in your name. And Jesus will say, I'm sorry. I never knew you. Depart from me. I'm sorry. In, in Romans chapter 2, Paul will write that God will repay each person according to what they've done. Now, I don't know if this is making you a little uncomfortable right now. I'm, I'm just reading scripture. But what is clear to me about these verses is that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, our lives cannot be lived with a mindset that says, well, I'm going to be in heaven one day. But our lives need to be lived out of a place of eternity, yes, but also now, yes. That we need to understand that when we received our salvation through grace, we received this unearned, amazing grace that washes us white as snow, that takes away our sin and our blame, and God mercifully, because of his abiding love, invites us into forgiveness and wholeness. But that's not where our relationship with God is meant to stop. And, and then somehow just, we, we went through this salvation process, and now we wait. And now we wait. We go out for dinner. We watch a movie. We, we just wait until one day we get to go home. But instead, the same grace that we were given that enables us to, to be changed or to, to, to move from our past into our present relationship with God, it, it also empowers us to live our lives in the here and now in a new way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will write about how we're to live our lives in our relationship with God when he will say, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the thing that I want to draw out of this for us today. You see, it's God's grace that does the first one, that saves us. And it's God's grace that does the second one, that empowers us to live for him. And the grace of God, that's a gift in the first one, it's as much a gift in the second one. They're both gifts from God. They're both aspects are gifts from God. God gives us the gift of salvation. And then God gives us the gift of being able to live for him in the here and now. That verse tells us that, that these things that God created for us, we don't just stumble into them. We don't do them if we feel like it. What does God have for your life? Well, some of what, and, and that's a question that we all spend our lives searching for. What does God have for me? What is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants me to do in my life? Well, some of what he has for you to do is a to-do list. It says that these works were prepared for you. God thought you out and thought out your to-do list. That God prepared things for you to do from the beginning of time. That it's not just that God saved you and now is just hoping you can keep your head down and get there. It's not God saved you and now we play the waiting game. It's God saved you and then God says, now I've got some things for you to do. Sometimes we can think about the, the first one as God's gift, salvation, that's God's gift to us. And, and then we can think of the second one as sort of like our obligation because of that gift. 
that, that God has given me the gift of salvation. Well, now I guess I better do something nice for him too. That, that we've, we've all had that moment in our lives and these, these stories in our lives where somebody does something for us and we think, well, I guess to return the favor, I better do something. And sometimes we can start to think about our relationship with God. Like He saved me, and so I'm obligated to do these things for him. Or, or that it becomes the catch, the fine print, that God offers you the free gift of salvation, and we, we joyfully receive it. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. And then his little lawyer comes walking in, and he says, by accepting the terms and services of this agreement, you have agreed to the following and begins to unpack for us what this really actually meant past the sales pitch. Okay, you got me saved for now. Now I guess I can stop swearing and set up a few chairs at church for you. But it's not just that the gift of grace enables us to be saved. It's the gift of grace enables us to be saved and then empowers us. Now, now this can be a really tricky path for, for us to walk down because it's easy here to fall off into dangerous and destructive understandings of God on, in either direction. We can fall off into legalism and into works and into moralism and think that it's incumbent on us to be good and right and moral because we need to earn God's favor in our lives and, and that somehow we need to make us be something because Jesus did this for this, so I have to spend the rest of my life working off the guilt of receiving this gift. Or we can fall off onto the other side of that that says, hey, God's grace has got to do it in me. It ain't me. There's nothing good inside of me. So if nothing is happening, that's on the big guy, not me. I don't want to do it. And if God wants me to do it, create in me a clean heart. God, you do it in me. You make it happen in me. If you want it to be me, then he's got to do something. I prayed the prayer. I did my part. I'm good. But where we need to live is to walk down the middle path that says that grace cleanses us and empowers us to live in God. But Paul doesn't say here, hey man, I'm on autopilot and I just want to see what, where God is going and, and going and doing and, and watch it as it happens. He says, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm here on earth, it's to work. It's to labor. It's God working through him, but Paul is still choosing to do the work. You see, when Paul talks about being in heaven, he, he sees himself fully and completely in the presence of his Savior. But when he talks about his life here and now, it's not this radically different picture. He doesn't say, for me to live is to suffer. He doesn't say, for me to live is legalism. He doesn't say, for me to live is effort and struggle. He, he doesn't say, for me to live is to work it and earn it. He says, heaven is Heaven dying is to be with Christ, but to live is to live for Christ, to live with Christ. For me, to live is Christ. The Bible makes it so very clear that we are not saved by works, even if Michael Bloomberg thinks different. But we are, but we are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
It's not works that get us there. But once we're there, the grace that we've put our faith in to save us will also move us into action. And it doesn't just cause us to dream about this one day where we get to be with God, but allows us to journey deeper with God, where we live out our lives in God. And that causes us to become more like God, not just in death, but also in life. I will build my house where the storm won't drown. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. I will not trust in the strength of kings On your promise I will stand I will shout for joy I will raise my voice Hallelujah to the Lord You are staying fast Yeah.